listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Believe in Dog Podcast. One of the cool things about starting this podcast has been that I've had the opportunity to connect with people and have really awesome conversations that I might not otherwise have been able to do. I'm kind of an introverted type person. I'm not great in a crowd, but I love to sit down and just have one-on-one really interesting, deep, meaningful conversations with people. And so having the opportunity or the excuse to reach out and have these kind of conversations has really been a fun thing. And I'm really grateful to the people who I've been able to connect with or who have reached out to connect with me. So today's guest, Liz Weiner of Pet Therapy Notes, is someone who I might not have otherwise met if it wasn't for the podcast. And I'm so grateful that I've met her because we've really been able to connect on many things. So I wanted to start out with a thanks to Mindy Fitzgerald, who you heard in episode two, Mindy of Hunter and Harvest Apothecary. Uh, Liz and Mindy have actually been friends for a while, and Mindy's the one who connected me with Liz when I was starting the podcast. So thank you, Mindy. And you're also going to hear Mindy mentioned in another context today, too. I had shared an image on Instagram and my Facebook account a couple weeks ago that said, be brave enough to suck at something new. And so many of you were so kind in leaving me messages telling me that I don't suck, (laughs) which I appreciate. Um, I was actually feeling very frustrated when I had posted that because Liz and I actually recorded our interview back in October. And when I went to sit down and edit it, I realized that the recording was basically unusable. And I have a couple audio friends who were so gracious and kind in working with me to try to figure out if if this could be salvaged, and it couldn't. And what we think happened was the day that Liz and I had recorded back in October, there had been a storm. And while we were recording at her house, the power actually went out. And it seemed at the time like my recording hadn't been lost, but I think the file had ended up being so damaged that it was basically completely unusable. So Liz and I had this really beautiful, heartfelt conversation with tears and vulnerability. And then I had to ask her if she would mind doing it all over again. which I just felt so terrible to to ask her to do. But she's so kind and was, of course, willing to have the conversation all over again. So thank you, Liz, for that. Liz had 12 amazing years with her dog, Tovey, and his health suddenly took a turn just about two years ago in January of 2018. 
and within a matter of weeks, the dog that she was hiking with on a regular basis had suddenly left her life. And Liz was faced with this new world without him. He had been by her side for basically her whole adult life. And she had this huge void and was in all of this pain that was so unexpected. And she thought that adopting a new dog would, would help fill this, this void in her life that Toby had left, this Toby-sized hole in her heart. But it seemed like adopting a dog actually created more problems for her at first than it solved. I felt such a kindred spirit connection with Liz. We're both people who probably tend to be a little anxious, um, especially, honestly, when telling our stories and, and putting ourselves out into the world. And the other reason why I felt such a kindred connection with her is that we're the kind of people that when we're going through something, our first inclination is to look it up. Look it up online, Google it, see if anybody else has, has gone through this experience before. And so Liz spent a lot of time after she lost Toby looking up pet loss and grief and adopting a new dog after having lost your soul dog. And the good news is that these days, I'd say maybe in the last five to 10 years, people are finally sort of in the mainstream world, understanding and taking pet loss grief more seriously. There was a time I think when it was just sort of like, what, it's just a dog. But people are finally starting to realize that it's this being who spent their lives with you. One of the phrases that Liz has used in her writing is that Toby was the sole witness to certain chapters of her life. And I think we all understand those words when we hear them. So Liz found lots of great information about pet loss grief, but she couldn't really find anything about the complicated emotions that she was experiencing when she had adopted a new dog. So... Liz is writing it herself. She has her background in psychology and is now following her lifelong dream to be a writer. For the last several months, Liz has been documenting her own experiences as well as interviewing people who have adopted pets after loss. And there's actually going to be an opportunity for you to be involved in some of her work as she's still looking for more people to interview. And I'll explain more of that at the end of the episode. One of the reasons that I wanted to interview Liz and hear more of her story about adopting after loss was that I could relate to this whole complicated emotional journey in my own way. In episode one, I talked to you about the dog Lucy, who changed my life. And while she was really always my husband's girl, Lucy and I bonded so much in the last one and a half to two years of her life while she was sick. She would actually seek me out when she wasn't feeling well, and that was so special to me because, like I said, she had always kind of been my husband's dog. If you've ever done that thing, if you have a partner where you both stand on opposite sides of the yard from each other and call the dog to see who they'll run to, Lucy would always run to Tim every time. So for her to seek me out in her later days when she wasn't feeling well, that that was so special to me that I could be there for her like that. With Lucy, the initial symptoms of her illness had started in the spring of 2014. It was sort of a mystery illness that I'm going to be telling you more about in an upcoming episode. 
So we still had Lucy and Kalua, both dogs at that time. And in early 2015, Kalua, who also ended up sort of having a mystery illness of her own, went downhill very quickly. And in a matter of about six weeks, we lost her. And from March of 2015 to August of 2015, we just had Lucy with us in the house. At the end of August 2015, one day I was out with my friend Mindy, who I mentioned, Mindy from episode two, and we were volunteering with an organization that does TNR with feral cats in Baltimore. So every few weeks, Mindy and I would get up on usually a Sunday morning and go out to the Park Heights neighborhood in northwest Baltimore City, and we would drive around and we would feed feral cats and look for ear tips and if we would try to spot cats that needed to be ear tipped so that we could have the trapping team come out. So as Mindy and I are driving in her Jeep through Northwest Baltimore City on the Sunday morning, we make a turn and out of an alley comes this skinny, saggy, flea-bitten mama dog who was missing so much fur and covered in scabs. And she just wanders out of this alley right in front of the Jeep. And the minute I looked at her, I knew this was my dog. And this is my girl, Penny. So Mindy and I had put her in the Jeep. She had no collar on. The alley that she came out of, I don't even know how to describe it except to say there was nothing around it. There was just nothing there. It's not like she'd come out of a yard. There was literally just nothing there. She had no tags, no collar. There was no people around. And we noticed that it looked like maybe she had given birth to puppies recently. So we got out and we inspected the alley and we tried to let her lead us. And there were no puppies or anything to be found. So we put her in the Jeep and we got her out of there. We did what we thought was the responsible thing, which was to take her to Baltimore's Barks Animal Shelter in case she was someone's dog and they wanted to claim her. So I told the people at the shelter that as soon as her official stray hold was up, I wanted to adopt her. So about three or four days later, my husband and I brought Penny home and she's been with us ever since. But it was weird at first having this new dog in the house, especially with Lucy being in her last days and her condition had started to deteriorate more and and she was sort of fragile. My husband and I had known we were going to adopt more dogs in the future, but we had never had a really good plan for, for when. And it was very stressful at first. And I just kept telling Penny, like, her time would come, but we really had to be there for Lucy right now, and we did a lot to keep them separated because of Lucy's fragile condition. I think it was about six to seven weeks after we brought Penny home that we said our final goodbye to Lucy, and so much of my life for the last year and a half to two years revolved so much around Lucy. I had all these alarms set on my phone for her supplements and her medications and when she needed to eat. And just my whole day, my whole life at that point seemed to revolve around Lucy. So it was so weird and and strange having her gone and then having this strange dog in my house who wanted to sleep in my bed, which Lucy had hardly ever even done. I don't know if resentment is the right word, but it was weird, and I 
I was grieving the loss of my family. Tim, Lucy, Kalua, and I, we had all been a family for over 10 years, and with Lucy, over 11 years. And it was like they were all just gone, and I had lost my family. And here's Penny, this cute, sweet, silly dog, but I just wanted my family back. And honestly, at first, Penny kind of had some trouble connecting with people. I don't think she had ever really been a family dog before. When I look back at the early photos of when we first brought her home, she has this sort of distant, disconnected look in her eyes. And it was hard. It was hard at first, and I remember feeling like a terrible person that I have this beautiful story of finding this dog, and, and she's in my home, and I just couldn't connect with her at first. I really did feel like a terrible person. I was having all these crazy emotions that you have when you're filled with, with grief. So then a weird thing happened. About six weeks after Lucy passed, so now we're in December of 2015, I had this medical situation happen. Back in 2012, I had had this weird thing that, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call an autoimmune illness. And at first, the doctors thought that this was just a one-time weird thing, and I'd be fine, and it would never come back, but it did <laughs> in December of 2015. And I don't even know how to really explain it to you other than to say it affected how I could move and how I could walk, and I, it was hard for me to drive or to sit. I sort of walked around like Frankenstein, and I basically became homebound for a period of time because, you know, I couldn't drive myself. And I'm so fortunate that my boss had made it so that I could work from home. So, you know, I didn't have to lose any time from away from work because I could at least move my upper body, even if I couldn't move my lower body really well. And after the first bout of this incident, I had gotten really strict with my health and my diet and making sure that I was being very healthy. And so, you know, when this happened again, I just started making all of my own smoothies and making all of my own soups and just trying to eat as much, you know, healthful food as I could to get good nutrients into my body. And so I was constantly putting stuff in the blender. And one of the main ways that Penny and I bonded at first was that I would just pour out the, the remnants in my blender for her. And she loved this. And with most dogs, when they hear the noise of the blender, they kind of go the other way or, or maybe don't come and eat, don't come close to it. But even to this day, as soon as I turn the blender on, Penny comes running because she knows it means something good for her. And it was right before Christmas that year when I finally got the use of my feet kind of back and I was able to drive again. And I had been so housebound, you know, for most of that month that I hadn't really had a chance to do much for Christmas other than order off of Amazon. And I was able to sneak out one day and, and get some stuff for my husband. And I had brought Penny in the car with me and she just loves car rides. And that was really how we bonded. And today, Penny is totally my BFF. She loves adventures. She loves car rides. She's totally my girl. If my husband and I do that game in the yard, she's going to run to me every time. I posted on Instagram a couple days ago an image that says, Dogs come into our lives to teach us about love. They depart to teach us about loss. A new dog never replaces an old dog. It merely expands the heart. And I got so much feedback from you because I think that we've all been there. 
and I've been there, and Liz has definitely been there. And I'm excited to tell you that she did bond with her new dog, Millie. They had a rough start, but they figured it out and grew together, and you'll hear the whole story now. Today, Liz and I will talk about why it's difficult for Liz to talk about her childhood family dog. And then we talk about how pet loss can actually have many different meanings or definitions of how the loss occurs and that we want to be compassionate to all of these different situations. Liz tells us about how she stayed too long in her first marriage out of concern for her pets. And Liz and I talk about how our life experiences have helped us realize that life has a lot of gray areas and not everything is black and white. Liz and I talk about her background in psychology and the different jobs that she's had and how she got the courage to leave her career to pursue her lifelong dream of writing. We talk about how a Greyhound bus ride led to Liz adopting Tovey, and we discuss Liz and Tovey's beautiful life together and all the milestones that Tovey was a part of. One of the other things we talk about is how we try to make the best medical decisions and end-of-life care decisions for our pets based on the information and the resources we have available and that we can't use hindsight to question ourselves or pass judgment or to second-guess or to punish ourselves. Liz tells us about the origin of pet therapy notes. And then we discuss how Liz was simultaneously mourning the loss of Tuvi, as well as her impulsive decision to adopt her new dog, Millie. We talk about Liz's relationship with Millie today and what she's learned along the way, and the gift of adopting a difficult dog. Then Liz will tell us about an author who has inspired her writing. And we end with talking about finding meaning in our grief, honoring the memories of our dogs, and honoring the dogs for the individuals that they are. So let's get started. So I am here today with Liz Wiener of Pet Therapy Notes, and Liz is such a wonderful and gracious person because we actually recorded this interview for the first time in October, and due to some technical difficulties, we weren't able to keep the recording, and we're doing it all over again. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here with me again, Liz. It's my pleasure. And we were talking about this amazing energy that we had together the first time. So this is just an amazing opportunity to have that again and to share that time with you because it was a really powerful experience. I agree. And I appreciate that. Thanks. So yeah, thanks for having me back. There's so many things that I want to talk about with you, but today I wanted to get started with your story. You are Liz Wiener. And tell us, did you have dogs growing up? Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I feel like it's one of those like loaded, complicated questions and it shouldn't be, but it is for me. When I was growing up, I always wanted a dog. That was just like one of these things I would constantly beg my parents for and they did not want a dog very much. Um, (laughs) I had some of that also. (laughs) And then look at us now. Um, So yeah, we ended up getting a dog from a breeder when I was in about fourth grade. They finally kind of gave in to my constant whining about it. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was a lab because, you know, they had felt like, you know, labs are known for being good family dogs, like stereotypically. So We got a lab, but the thing is too, like not knowing anything else about the breed, labs also have a lot of energy and take a lot, you know, are a lot of work and need a lot of exercise. And yeah, and my parents weren't like that. Like we weren't 
really able to give that to the dog we got. And so we got a puppy and one of the first nights we had her, she ended up um, like chewing. We, she was left downstairs, you know, like run of the house and she ended up chewing the couch and like making a huge mess. So the next morning we woke up and it was like an explosion happened. Oh my goodness. Yes. And my mom, she was so mad. So from then on, the dog was not allowed upstairs. Um, so it was like, they were like, instead of getting a trainer and we may actually have had a, tra- we did, I remember taking her to like a training class, but instead of like addressing the problem, like she had to just stay downstairs so she wouldn't ruin anything upstairs. And that was so hard for me because like, I wanted a dog to sleep with me and to cuddle with and right. yeah, I had these totally different expectations. So yeah, so we did have a dog growing up, but I wasn't bonded to her in the way I've been bonded to dogs since then. And it's almost one of those questions where I'm embarrassed to answer in conversation sometimes because I feel so sad about that. Like, you know, that, and I think that also shows too that, you know, our bonds with our pets uh, really, really mark the type of relationship we have, right? So, you know, people like you and me, you know, we, our pets are our lives, you know, our attachment is so intensely strong and deep. And not everyone's is like that. Right. And sometimes it's, you know, it's it's one of those things I think, you know, people like us in, in rescue and in the rescue world are like so passionate about and we just assume everyone is. And so I try to try to remember that too and try to like not judge people because I feel like we never know like what someone else's situation is. I feel like I'm going off on a tangent. Thank you for sharing that because you're actually not the first person that I've talked to who kind of has a story like that. Um, and I, I have one friend in particular who she has not let me nail her down with an interview yet. And I know she kind of has a story like that also. And I think it is hard to talk about when you're in, you know, animal rescue, animal welfare, and and to think back and think, oh, maybe uh, I wish I could do that differently now. And um And regarding what you're talking about with different relationships with your dogs, you know, I have seen that in other places um, where Mm -hmm. I realized that, oh, the way they interact with their dogs is is very differently than we interact with, you know, with our Mm -hmm. dogs and what our dogs mean to us seems from the few things I've observed to be very different, you know, than than how I treat my dogs and, and what they mean to me. And yeah, sometimes it is hard not to judge that, but, um, you know, we just, you just hope that, um, to keep evolving, you know, and I guess that's, it's important to me. And, and it's one of the things that I actually kind of hope to do through the podcast is with some of our judgment on things to just, to just have conversations around it, you know? And, Mm. and, um, so anyway, thank you for sharing that. I know that that sometimes that can be a hard thing to to talk about. And and so thank you for sharing. Absolutely. And, um, to piggyback on that conversations, um, what I do now, and we can get into this, but just one thing about, um, talking about things, I think it's so important. Um, and I studied pet loss and so, at first that started out as death, right? Like losing a pet through death. And then it really evolved to other types of loss that aren't as widely acknowledged in terms of the grief process. Um, You know, one of them is losing a pet because they get lost or stolen. I mean, I cannot, it it just breaks my heart when I see these posts or these flyers and it's just, it's so heartbreaking. I can't imagine not knowing. I know. And I, and sometimes like you'll see a flyer up and somewhere for like a really long time. And I'm like, I get like upset, like, you know, I'm like at a stop sign or something and I'm like, did, did they ever get their dog back? I wish totally. they would post an update. <laughs> totally. It's just heartbreaking. 
And um, yeah, I get so emotional and I just, you know, I want to interview people that have had that experience, but I'm also really careful about it because I know it's not easy for everyone to talk about. Right. But, you know, so, so there's that type of grief. And so, so that's not a type of grief that I think is, is judged as much as other types of grief for having to rehome a pet, mm-hmm. you know, or euthanasia due to behavioral issues, um, which are both very hard decisions for people, right. um, not for everyone. You know, people rehome pets for all reasons, but... My heart always goes out to situations where we don't know what the circumstances are and someone is, you know, giving a pet to a shelter and hysterical crying and they have no other resources and they're really just doing what's best for their mm-hmm. pet and just the the sadness and then on top of that sadness, you know, also just the the guilt that can come with that and that can turn into shame because of the judgments I think the outside world place on it. Right. You know, of course a shelter is a last resort, right? Like you don't want to have to rehome your pet, but at the same time, you know, when we, uh, you know, in like the social media world, it's so perpetuated, like you're the worst person in the world if you can't keep your pet, you know, and then to have that shame, like compounded with the already, the, you know, the sad feelings that someone already feels. And, and, and also, and then like on the flip side, you know, sometimes we wonder why people leave pets outside like a shelter because they can't face going in because, you know, right. and then, so it's like, you can't win, you know? So I guess I feel for people sometimes, like I try to look at it from everyone's perspective and, just and some people would disagree with me, and I feel like that's a bold thing to say. And I hate being controversial; like that terrifies me to like be myself. Yes, I, <laughs> yes. I get that. But I feel like it's important to like tell my truth, and I think that's um, that that's another thing that pulls at my heartstrings sometimes. You know, one other thing I'll say about it is um, I'm divorced and I'm remarried. But my first marriage, um, my husband and I, we had two dogs and we had um, fostered cats for barks, so we had a few cats too that we ended up adopting. And I stayed in a bad marriage because I was terrified of what would happen to the pets. Like, you know, like I, you know, how would we split them up? And, um, you know, could we keep all these pets? And we had like five. And it was like, I just, I stayed in this marriage because I was afraid to ask for help because I didn't want to be that person that said like, you know, I need to, I need to leave the situation and I'm moving and I can't take all the pets with me. I didn't want to be that person. I was so afraid of being judged. I eventually did leave and, you know, we split the pets and it was, it was fine, but it was terrifying. You know, it was, um, and if I felt supported, it would have been, and we did have to rehome actually two of them, a pair that were, you know, very bonded. Um, but I, I kept them until I wasn't, I was in an apartment and I wasn't permitted. I mean, to have more than two pets, (laughs) I found them an amazing home, but I, I still felt so guilty about that and embarrassed and ashamed. And I really didn't talk about that for a long time, but you know, again, it was just, it was like, I needed to, to do something about my life. And I was so afraid of what people would think if I reached out for help. So I waited longer than I should have, but in any case, so yeah, so that's, yeah, that's particularly close to my heart. I like having these conversations and I I guess I like to know just different people's experiences and just that things aren't always so black and white and, and I could not ask for somebody to love their pets more than, than you love your pets. And you still, you know, find yourself and we find these ourselves in these situations. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's, it's true. Yeah. Even with that incredible bond and you just never know what life is going to bring you. And and you're trying to do, you know, the right thing. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. And <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's a lot more, there's a, there's a lot more layers to that onion, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I always try to be compassionate about that. And I know you are too. You know, I, there was a time in my life and I guess that's, um, 
you know, again, like it's hard, you know, to talk about, but like, there's definitely a time in my life when like, I was probably the person like, you know, screw people. I like animals, mm. you know, all these irresponsible people and, you yeah. know, and I like, I've, I was definitely that person like 10 years ago. <laughs> and it's funny because I was too, when I first got into rescue, I was that like person who vilified people, right. like not knowing a situation. And I feel it. Like, yeah, totally. So intense about it. But like, I, I've had so many experiences and I'm so grateful, you know, for the work that, you know, I've done in, in the community and stuff and to to realize that like thing, things are are not black and white there's mm-hmm. so many shades of gray and there's actually so many people out there trying to do the right thing by both people and animals but they don't have the same you know access to resources as other people and yeah yeah I hear you so yeah do you want to talk about what your job is and then about how that was affected by your Toby yeah absolutely so in terms of my background I am a licensed therapist um, I have a master's in psychology so that's my background and I got that about 12 years ago that degree and then um, I never really felt connected to the field I have a lot of anxiety so I just I I didn't like being a person in in the role of trying to help someone else with with their anxiety or depression or trauma, it felt, even though I think I was good at it, it felt like a lot. It felt really heavy to me. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility and responsibility can be really overwhelming to me. And even though I probably looked great on the outside, like fine, totally fine doing it. I just didn't feel okay on the inside. Um, it was just kind of like eating me up with anxiety. So um, in any case, I, I did face-to-face counseling in a lot of community health organizations um, for about five years. And then I went to work for an insurance company for about seven and kind of was on the back end of utilization reviews. So still from a clinical perspective, hearing about different different treatment plans and things like that, but not actually having to do face-to-face. And that felt a lot safer. So I felt like I had a safe job um, for for a long time. And then as as I was, as I got older, I just, I just felt like it was not a meaningful job. I was also working at home and I felt really isolated. And, and then when my dog died, which I'll talk about when Tovi died, my world just like collapsed and I feel like I had to rebuild it. And it was it got rebuilt, not intentionally, but like I wasn't the same and I didn't want to go back to something that wasn't meaningful to me. And I say that from a place of understanding that I had the privilege to do that. I think that's important to acknowledge um, because I know that we can't always like chase our dreams, you know, and sometimes I feel bad that I have that opportunity, but I do. So I'm just going to kind of own that, I guess, right? (laughs) Like I'm going to own that truth. But in any case, I realized when I, when I I left my job this past July, it's, it's uh, December now, 2019. And when I left my job, my intention was to go back to the counseling world, but only do pet bereavement counseling. That was it. Like exclusively, like no one only does pet bereavement counseling. And I, I, you know, read all these books and I just became really proficient in it. And, and not even just from the books I had read, but from the, the year plus that I had struggled, I had learned so much just in a a way that I wanted to help myself. So I, my intention was to get back into the field and, and I also wanted to write. I've always loved to write. It was a childhood dream and I was always discouraged from being a writer. And you were discouraged because that that wasn't like a realistic. Yeah, it wasn't a realistic goal. Um, there was a lot of pressure to be around people and to do something more social, even though that was me because I was always naturally an introverted person. I always felt that pressure to be extroverted in any way, in any case. Yeah. So I really got away from, from 
writing as a career, but I, throughout the years I've kept journals. I have an, like an encyclopedia of journals. Oh, that's um, amazing. It's great. Yeah. I always want to journal and I never stick with it. It's hard to stick with. I find that, I find that too a lot now, more so from when I was like, I started when I was like 18. So I literally have like 20 journals on the shelf, like encyclopedias. Oh, that's amazing. And they are kind of like encyclopedias of your life, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I would not want anybody reading anything I, I was up to when I was 18. Though. I know. <laughs> And I'm like embarrassed to go back and read them. I'm like sometimes nervous, like, oh my God, who was I? Who's this person? But yeah, so writing has always just been something that I just naturally felt like I thrived in and I connected to and just made me really happy. And so I started writing about an experience I had after Tovi died. Um, I adopted another dog and he had a very, very complicated experience, which I'll talk about. But that got me to think about writing again and writing about my experience and sharing it because it was something that I wasn't able to find any literature on. There's a ton of research and information on pet bereavement in general in terms of grief, but not a ton or any really that I found on adopting after loss, you know, or adopting as an umbrella term, bringing another pet into your life. So that's, I fell back into writing. And so, as I said, my intention was to go back into the field and be a counselor and you know, along the way, I just realized that my anxiety was creeping up again as it got closer. Um, and I, it was really hard to come to terms with, wait, actually, like, I don't want to be a counselor. I just want to be a writer and, um, you know, do other things on the side, of course, to make some money, but, um, <laughs> in the meantime, but yeah. And that was, I mean, it's almost like a conclusion that's kind of embarrassing in some ways. Cause I had like told everyone I was going to be this pet bereavement therapist and it was this really cool specialty and I'm still using my skills, you know, in my background, but I'm doing it through writing and touching a broader audience. I think uh, when people hear your story and hear what you have to say, I think it's going to resonate with so many people. Thank you so much. So do you want to tell us about the story of Tovi? Yeah, absolutely. I had a dog named Tovi. I adopted him when I was 24 from the SPCA. Oh gosh. And I, I just feel like it's so hard to put into words this, this life we had together. And what kind of dog was yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's funny when I write about it, I always forget to say that. Like, I just feel like um, I know what he was. So right, like you're picturing, <laughs> like I'm picturing him. Right, him so right. um, he was a mix of like a corgi and a shepherd, but he had floppy ears. Um, Cause I know shepherds and corgis kind of have ears that go straight up, but he had, so probably some other breeds too almost like golden type of ears, like a golden retriever. They were like velvety soft and, but his coloring was like a shepherd. And even as he was older, sometimes people would think he was a puppy, a puppy German shepherd. Oh yeah. But he was just always, he was just short because he was a corgi mix. So (laughs) it's kind of like short and stocky and um, just adorable. Yeah. So I, um, I got him in kind of a serendipitous way. I, um, I hadn't really felt that strong of a connection to dogs in general, in the sense that I wanted my own, I loved dogs. I loved being around people's dogs, but you know, having that experience as a child and not having that bond, it wasn't until I started dating someone for a very brief period of time, I got really attached to his dog. And I realized I want my, I want a dog. Like I was really sad when the relationship ended just because I couldn't <laughs> spend time with this dog. <laughs> I totally know what that is. There's a guy that I dated for way too long just cause I loved yes. his mom. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I've been there too. I totally get that. Yeah. So I loved this dog and, um, and I just think it was really serendipitous. Like I I met this guy. I was, this was a long time ago and I was, I'm from like the New York area, Northern Jersey. And I was traveling to New York on a Greyhound bus. This was like back in the day before like mega buses and a lot of Uber and any of these like fancy means of um, transportation now. And I was sitting next to a guy and that's literally how I met him on a Greyhound bus. And oh, wow. like, it was just so random. Like and I Greyhound, Greyhound is a dog. 
<laughs> oh, oh, I like that. I never even thought about that. Um, but yeah, such a random connection and it was extremely short lived, but like, what if that one thing never happened? Right. Like, I just think about that all the time. So anyway, so we broke up and, um, I, he had a pug. So I wanted, I thought I wanted a pug. So I looked on pet finder and, um, I, a lot of these rescues, I lived in a studio apartment and obviously no yard, you know, right. not like you need a, a yard for a pug, um, you know, to run around. I mean, they were all older pugs I was looking at. So, I mean, I think I walk a lot. I think I could have definitely made that work. Yeah. Pugs aren't known for yeah. being the most athletic breed. Exactly. Like, and especially I remember, um, in particular, this one was like five, you know, right. and it was anyway, in any case, um, that's fine. You know, um, Again, I guess there's that like like judgment piece. Like you have to have a yard, you know. <laughs> like, uh, the rescue was saying yeah, you had to have a yard. Yeah, the rescue oh, like okay. wouldn't adopt. They're like, no, you have to have a yard, you know, to, to adopt. So okay, that was just one specific rescue. I don't think most you know do that. Um, I think most rescues understand different circumstances and what different dogs need, right? right. And some dogs do need a yard, but. Yeah. So I digress. Um, so anyways, I couldn't find a pug on Pen Finder. Um, and I was babysitting. I was in graduate school at the time and I babysat for these two girls who had a lot of rescue animals. Like their family was really big into rescue and was babysitting for them one day. And they were like, let's go to the SPCA and look at, cause they knew I had been looking. And I honestly, that was my first experience with a shelter. Like I didn't know shelters were a thing. Oh wow. Yeah. I was 24 and like, I just never really knew about them, which sounds totally naive, but I just didn't. Um, and we went and that's when I met Tovi. And um, it was just also just so serendipitous, like the timing that I was there, you know, and um, when he was there, you know, and um, and I remember meeting him in like a play yard and another and just immediately knowing he was supposed to be my dog. Um, and we weren't, he wasn't even super focused on me because he was just excited to be outside. He was about nine months then. Okay. But I just knew, like there was just something that I was like, no, this is my dog. I know it. And this other family, like a really sweet looking family had said like, oh, if she doesn't end up with that dog, we'd like to meet him. And I just genuinely felt so bad for the family because they seemed so nice. And I'm like, I just got the most perfect dog. Like I am so, <laughs> like, so sorry. Like I just, I, I almost, this like empathetic part of me felt bad. So anyway, um, no, I mean, he just was amazing. Um, like I said, I was 24. I was going through those typical like twenties where you're like finding yourself and I always had like issues with attaching to people. So he was my first like true love. Like I loved this dog. Some people might think it was like an unhealthy attachment, but we did everything together. I mean, he was the most adaptable dog too. We lived in like nine different places and it was never a big deal for him to make a transition. If um, in, in any first date I went on, like we, I would go meet somewhere outside, like a Starbucks, you know, and he would come with me. He was like my little security blanket. Um, we did pets on wheels. Like he... Um, he was just great. I worked in a juvenile, um, kind of residential facility and he was like a dog I did groups with, um, you know, to kids, um, from like the inner city, many that were afraid of dogs. So he, they played football with him and he just, we, we tried to work on empathy through, through, through dogs, but through him really, right. you know, his that. presence. <laughs> Thanks. So yeah, so he was just like super going and yeah, I mean, he was my, he walked me down the aisle at my first wedding and like gave me away Aww. and yeah. And then he was there with me through my divorce and, um, and then he was my husband's current husband's best man. I mean, best dog, sorry. He had like a little best dog. Bandana. Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. So he was definitely like a, like he was my life. Like he, I would do anything for this dog. I did. Like I lived for him. We hiked every weekend because he loved to hike. Um, I, I like to hike too, but he loved it. So I was doing it. Um, <laughs> 
So yeah, so um, he was there for like a lot of milestones in your life and as an adult. So many milestones. And I think that's part of that attachment that we have, right? Like when I lost him, I felt like I lost so much of like, he held these memories in his body. So it, it was like the physical presence devastated me, but also like, oh my God, like he's the only one who saw me like through all these times and through all these personas, you know, and all these people who are no longer here. And like when he was gone, it was like this chapter of my life, like abruptly ended. Yeah. And it was yeah, just, I, yeah. I remember saying that when when we lost Lucy, it was like, I, I wasn't ready for this chapter to end. It was a really good chapter, right? <laughs> you know? And, it, um, yeah, it, it's yeah, like these huge, you know, chunks of, of your life. And, and yet does it feel they're, you know, it's like, it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those things that bond us and just make our connection so much stronger. And, um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, so when he he died, um, it was it was suddenly, but it, it, it he was super healthy. He was like almost thirteen, but he um, we were still hiking like every weekend, and then he randomly got he ate something he shouldn't have eaten, and he got sick. Um, like a food or yeah, like an object, um, or you know, it, it was a food he shouldn't have eaten, oh, okay. and he like threw up, and you know, okay. Like I knew that he was, you know, he was sick. So he went to the vet and he, he was, he ended up being fine. Um, because you know, it just, he had just like a stomach thing. It was, we knew it was something he ate. He was like totally healthy the next day. Like he was completely fine. But when we were at the vet, the vet was feeling his stomach and kind of felt something. And so let's do some blood work, you know, let's just like see what's going on, make sure it's nothing else. So we found out that he had liver cancer, but his episode of getting sick had nothing to do with the cancer at all. Like it was, he had no symptoms of cancer um, at all. And he seemed like a healthy dog. He was still super active. So it was just like so hard for me to reconcile that. Like, how is this dog sick? And so I don't know if it was serendipitous that he got sick and we found out or sometimes I I wish that didn't, I wish he never got sick because, and I never knew because we ended up putting him through surgeries and that's how he ended up dying. And, you know, obviously I don't mean to punish myself with retrospect. I did what I thought was best then, but I go back and forth with that. Like, I wish maybe I didn't know and he would have, you know, just died naturally or, you know, I could have peacefully you know, ended his life, you know, in a, before he suffered, but in any case, um, so did he pass, um, during a surgery or? So he ended up, um, he, we opted to do a surgery. Um, our vet, you know, had been really honest with us and didn't recommend it. His, his liver cancer was very, it it was really, uh, had progressed. Um, and he basically had like a, a large tumor that had a lot of fluid in it and it was going to rupture. So our vet said like, he's going to rupt, it's going to rupture and he's going to die. Like, and it could be in a few days, it could be in six months, but he, you can't, he can't have any like, real physical activity. Like, you know, because we don't, we don't know what, if he hits something, it could, you know, set it off, cause it to rupture. So we went to, um, I had a, a friend at the time, like a very loose friend on Facebook. I'd posted something on Facebook about how, you know, the Tovi was dying and I, I wanted people to have the opportunity to, to visit him because I knew that he had a meaningful impact on a lot of people's lives. And a friend who's a vet internist at one of the, the hospitals had said, like, I, I would really like to, to see him because, you know, there are things we might be able to do. So <laughs> gave you hope. It gave me hope. And oh my gosh. But we opted for this surgery because he was otherwise very healthy. And, you know, 
they felt like, you know, he could have another few years if we take out the, the cancer. And we did the surgery and um, they got it out. And, um, but he was never the same. I picked him up from the hospital. He spent one night in the hospital um, and I, he probably needed more. Um, I picked him up and it was about an hour away from, from where I live. So I picked him up and I looked at him and he just didn't look, he didn't recognize me. And he just like looked really like out of it. And they said like, oh, it's probably just some, you know, some of the drugs, some of the medication. I was like, it's not like, I I know this is not medication. This is, this is just off. Like something's not right. And, um, you know, they, they took his vitals and said he was okay. And again, it was like an hour away and it was like the dead of winter. So, um, we're like, okay, we'll take him home. So we took him home and, oh my God, it was just an awful night. He cried all night and whimpered and, um, and it, I didn't even realize how bad it was until a few hours went by. Cause I'm like thinking like, you know, maybe he's just in pain from the, you know, medication wearing off. But the next morning he was just, it was awful. He was just like shaking. He wasn't doing well. So we brought him to the emergency vet and, um, and, and that's kind of when it started. It's just, we, he ended up, um, not getting better. They had wondered like maybe if he had like a stroke during the surgery, um, at some point, and maybe that's why he didn't, he wasn't really acting himself. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure. He, over time, um, he spent about a week in the hospital and over time he did start to recognize me more and he became more with it. But unfortunately he developed pancreatitis, um, as a side, as you know, a side effect of the surgery. And that's how he ended up dying. Oh, um, yeah. So it was really sad. And there's a lot of like guilt and regret because he's like, was in the hospital for like an entire week of his life, like toward the end. And I visited him constantly and, um, you know, I wish I would have let him go earlier, but, um, you know, they said he's suffering, but it's suffering with hope. Like he's right. uncomfortable. He's not, you know, and we think it can get better. So I was like, okay, one more day, one more day. And we brought him home and he couldn't survive at home. I mean, we even went so far as to put a feeding tube in him, which was like, really like, it was too much like for him. Like we, you know, so anyway, so yeah, so he, he just couldn't, we put him back in the hospital and it was like, this is just no way to live. And we brought him home again and he wasn't okay. So I was like, okay, we're done. Like this poor dog has been through too much. We are just done. It's so hard to know. And, you know, while you're sitting here going, oh, I wish I hadn't put him through all these things, there's probably somebody else out there who made the decision to let their dog go and says, I wish I could have given him the surgery. I wish I could have done all these other things, you know, and did I let him go too soon? And, you know, totally. It's like, how do you ever know? You can't win. You're just like trying to make the best decision that you can with the information that you have, with the resources that you have available in whatever emotional state, you know, that you're in, because you're not in the world's greatest emotional decision-making state when you're faced with with these things. And, um, it's, it's literally one of the hardest decisions that we, that we've had to make, you know, with, um, especially with Kahlua, um, when we lost our girl Kahlua, it was a sort of a very, um, similar situation just in the sense that like it kind of had something kind of happened quickly and then it was like well I think she's okay well is she well isn't she well I don't know oh my gosh she's not oh my what do you mean she's not she was fine a week ago you know it was it was very kind of like that whereas with Lucy I think we were we were more at peace with knowing like it was time you know and with her just kind of say in fact I had had made an appointment and then I actually called and made the appointment even sooner because you know she was ready and I I knew that 
we had done all that yeah, we could, but yeah, with, with Kahlua, we definitely, oh my gosh, we had so much guilt and doubt and what if, and, yes. you know, kind, kind of stuff. And I think it's literally like one of the hardest, you know, things to go through as a pet owner. And, and so if you had made a different decision, you'd still be questioning it. Absolutely. And like, yeah, like we can't use retrospect to punish ourselves, but we do in some ways, I know, you know, we totally do. it's, but yeah, absolutely. I t- completely agree. Um, no matter what we do, we're always going to look back and, and with anything in life, like have that ghost life, like that decision, right. like what would have been, but you know, um, and, and I, I mean, I think, you know, now, right. That like you did the best yes. like you could for him. You did yeah. everything anybody could have asked, you know, like oh, you did yeah. the right thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. And exactly. And that's what I remind myself is like, I was trying to help him. You know, I just wanted the best for him and I, who, who would have ever known that the surgery could have had those kind of side effects. Um, but yeah. And you know, and you kind of take those lessons with you and you, you know, for the future mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. So, um, so I just had no idea how to exist without him. Like I couldn't believe he died. Like I just, I, it was, it was so devastating. Um, when he was in the hospital, I wrote him these, these notes and this is where my pet therapy notes comes from. Aww. Um, I would, when we would hike, I would collect rocks, like from wherever we were, just ordinary rocks, but they just reminded me of like happy times or happy days. So I had all these rocks and I would put rocks in like a Ziploc baggie with a little note and the notes would just tell them about like just good memories. And, and then there were some notes that it was like, if you get better, um, I will like, it was like bargaining. And this is like embarrassing to say, but I'm like, I'll be less self-conscious about my body and I'll eat healthier, you know, like, just oh my like, gosh, we all do that. Oh kind my of God. Stuff. It was just like, please don't die. I'll do anything. Right. But, um, yeah, so it was, so that's where my pet therapy notes comes from. Cause like, I just, I would write in these notes and I would want him to have the energy of these rocks and, um, just take these collections of our, our memories together. That's so beautiful. Thank like you. what a way to honor, you know, your relationship with him. Thanks. Um, yeah. So uh, he, you know, so we, we put him down and I thought I was okay with it because, you know, cause, cause it had drug out. So I, you know, had processed it a little, you know, it, along the way, like mm-hmm. I was, I was sad for a few weeks as it was going on. And, and at the first day I was like, okay, I was kind of like, okay, come at peace. And I think I was just in shock. And then, I just became extremely depressed naturally as many people do, you know, when, when they go through any kind of loss. Um, but I didn't, I don't think I had like the emotional strength and the coping skills to really deal with it in a healthy way. I, I just felt like, okay, I need another dog. Like I'm going to feel better if I get another dog. Like I, I, I just didn't, I couldn't stand how it felt to feel my pain. It just hurt too much. And I think that being in the state of grief, I wasn't thinking rationally. And in my head, I was just like, oh yeah, well, like I'll just get another dog and like, then I'll start feeling better. You know, like that attachment will be back. And that, that's not how it works. Um, but it, you know, in that state of mind, I just felt like I was just like hijacked by this like impulsivity. And, and that's one of my like core traits that I have to really like hone in on. So I don't get impulsive, but I think in times of stress, that's like what I revert to. I think that, um, I think that that's actually really common. I think that it sort of describes my twenties yeah. <laughs> after we lost 
Tim's after the death of Tim's son, you know, we uh, we went through a lot of times that could be described as impulsive and mm-hmm. not making great decisions, and right. because you think it'll make the pain go away. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'll do anything and just. Yeah, I just want to feel better. <laughs> or, or, or just something different, you something know? Something different, yeah, absolutely. So, and looking back, I feel like even, I mean, I've owned it, so I'm not embarrassed anymore, but like I, like the day after he died, I'm like, okay, we're going to a shelter. We're going to look at other dogs, you know? And like, it was just so ridiculous. Like, it was like, and my husband was like, what, what are we doing? He was so not ready. And I just was in this like tunnel vision. I'm like, I don't care. You know, this is what I want, you know? Like, so he went along with it and he, you know, he's, he, he understood that how much pain I was in. And so, you know, I mean, I, so we went to a shelter the next day and we didn't get adopted dog. Um, yeah, that was too soon for him. But in any case, I became like obsessed with finding a dog. Like I was on pet friend all the time. And I had um, applied at a few rescues for dogs. And so sometimes the dog was ready, like got adopted, you know, they get a lot of dogs get adopted really quickly. And then other ones, like, you know, I, I actually, the, the day I adopted Millie, I, I was supposed to meet a dog um, that from a rescue that I was, you know, proved to meet. And I was so excited to meet this dog because I was like, oh, great. You know, it's sounds like a great dog. And I just wanted the dog so badly. And the morning I was supposed to meet the dog, the foster was sick and she canceled. And in my heart and my head, I, I know she was very, very attached to this dog. So I thought to myself, she is going to keep this dog. I think she's going to adopt it, you know, and I just had this feeling. Um, and so I was like, we're going to go to a shelter. We're, we're going to go back to the shelter and like look at dogs. And it was so impulsive and like, no, this foster did not adopt the dog. Like <laughs> that's not how it worked out. Um, but I just, I didn't, it was like almost like another loss, you know, like I just, I didn't want to, to even think about that. So I, I didn't want to wait a few days to meet this dog, which is like crazy to look back on. So we went to the shelter and, um, and I, I, this dog we adopted, her name is Millie and she's still my dog. <laughs> it, um, it was, it was a really strange experience. Um, she was literally the first dog I saw. We went into the shelter and she was outside with a volunteer <laughs> And I'm like, I'm going to take her. I, I was so afraid of scarcity and like not getting a dog. Um, cause, cause like you see a lot of dogs get adopted, like the ones you like, and then they get adopted right away. So I was like, I want to like call dibs on this dog. <laughs> now, so if I, so didn't you like have in your mind that you wanted like certain qualities and then like Millie met like none of them? Totally. Exactly. So like I had wanted an adult dog. Um, I had wanted a dog who I had known some history on, like that, um, you know, had lived in a home previously and was used to people and used to things and experiences and liked to hike with me. And, and I never wanted that like puppy stage. Like that wasn't me. I was never the kind of person that wanted a puppy. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Like never. So, so Millie was five months when I got her and okay, that's pretty um, young. yeah, so she was super young and it was like, I remember my mom saying like, wait, didn't you not want a puppy? When I told her that I was as getting her and I was like, no, it's fine. Like, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. I'll, I'll make it work. And, um, so yeah, so she met like none of these boxes. And when we met her at the shelter, I mean, it was brief and she was acting like a puppy and she was excited and she was like licking our faces and being very affectionate. But then, so we, um, we, we, you know, she needed to get spayed. So she, we got her a few days later and in between I like literally the next day was like, wait a minute, what did I do? Like, I, I don't, I don't think this is right. I'm not, I'm not ready. She's not the right dog for me. Um, but I was too, like, I 
I have these like people pleasing qualities and definitely not as bad anymore, but, um, I just didn't want to tell the shelter. Like I didn't want to be like, you know what? I changed my mind, which right. would have been like completely fine to do. I had done nothing yet. Like I hadn't adopted right. her, like, you know, um, so instead I like stayed in a bad situation What I knew in my gut was a bad situation. So we ended up, um, it, it wasn't a happy day. Like Tovi's gotcha day was like the best day of my life. Like it's like up there in like the top five days of my life ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I remember just taking him home and like his head was out the window, like just like starting our journey together and so confident. And we were both like so in tune and excited with Millie. Um, it was a completely different experience. It like hit me like, wait, who is this dog? Like she was terrified. She seemed like a different dog than we had met. Um, and I, and I don't really know why that was it maybe because she had been used to being in a shelter and coming out into the world was like scary for her. Um, so she started displaying like fear, like she was afraid to get in our car. Um, she was afraid to like, she was okay with me and my husband. She was afraid to be near people. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't, I'll never know. And you know, and it doesn't really matter. It, it just is what it is. Um, but I knew in the car ride home, it's like, I sobered up. Like if I was like emotionally drunk before, I was like, oh my God, like what did I do? Right. And, um, and it just got worse from there. You know, if I thought my, I thought my grief was bad before, but like my grief got so much worse because here I was dealing with like the grief of like my soul dog. And then I had this dog that was like a disaster for lack of better words. And I love her dearly, <laughs> but she needed so much work. I mean, this dog was so afraid of life. Um, she was growly with people and that was like, like Toby had never growled. And I was like, I never wanted to have a dog that growled that like seemed aggressive in any way. And, um, I think she was probably just really poorly socialized. Um, do you know anything about like how she ended up in the shelter or anything? I don't, she was a transfer from a rural shelter in West Virginia. And that's all I knew. Um, I almost feel like she maybe was an outdoor dog and was never around people just because of how nervous she was around people. Right. Um, or maybe she wasn't treated well by people. I don't know if it, I would think she didn't have the exposure cause she didn't know what, like what a house was. She just wasn't accustomed to like being inside, right. if that makes sense. Um, so I don't think she had a lot of early socialization. So I was just like totally not emotionally prepared for this. I was not happy. I was mourning Toby, but I was also mourning this decision I made. Like, oh my God, like this is like a huge decision that I'm going to have to live with for like 15 years. And like, I had like one shot at getting the dog and like, look what I got. Like, I was like, how could I be so stupid and like impulsive? And I just was really shaming myself. And, and because of that, I resented her. Like I, every time I looked at her, it was like this representation, like she was this representation of this horrible decision I made. So I would like resent her. And, um, now meanwhile, you would never know this from the outside. I was an amazing dog mom to her. Like <laughs> I wanted to make it work and I did make it work, but we had trainers and behaviorists and she has like a thousand dog beds and toys. And like, I just wanted her to be happy, but I wasn't happy. Like, so I like played the part, you know, I'm like, well, this is, this is what I have to do. She's my dog, you know, and I, I wanted her to have the best life, but I wasn't connected to her. I just was going through motions. Right. So like, did anyone else know I resented her? No, you know, it was just this internal feeling I had. Um, that was really hard for me to talk about because like, what kind of a person hates their dog? You know, like <laughs> you didn't hate her. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I'm totally exaggerating, but like I, I didn't, I felt so guilty that I wasn't bonded to her the way I was bonded to Toby. And I mean, over time, um, so Millie today has, 
has made so much progress. And how long has she been with you now? So on Valentine's Day, it'll be two years. So it's been um, about like 22 months or so. And I adopted her, I want to say two and a half weeks after Toby died. So that's um, the time span. Right. Yeah. So she's definitely made a lot of progress and I've put so much work and energy into her and um, it's definitely been worth it. And and she's, she's, she's turned into a really great dog and, and she has endearing qualities that are different than Toby, I will say. Right. Um, she'll never be this outgoing dog. You know, she's she's come very far for her, but she's always going to be a baseline anxious dog, right? right. Like she's going to have these like triggers that are going to bring her back to that scared state that she that that she had. You know, that that baseline. But I've I've learned to like accept a lot of that. Um, and I also so I still have my moments of frustration when something happens when maybe we'll be on a walk and she'll hear a noise and she'll just like completely shut down and stop walking and lie down on the ground and does not even want to move to go home. Um, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we work through that, you know, I have, I was just telling you earlier, like I have high value treats and, you know, we try to create positive experiences out of these negative associations, but you know, that's not always possible. You know, you don't always have like these treats with you, you know, and when she's having a meltdown. Um, so, so I have these, the, I have these great moments of like, I'm so proud of her, you know, like she's, she does agility, which has um, really increased her confidence and she can be around kids now. I mean, obviously not unsupervised, but she's not growling anymore, you know, so she'll, she can be pet that she lets people, some people touch her now. And so she's made so many strides, but so I have these moments where I'm just so proud of her. But then sometimes I also have these moments that I go back to like, I'm so sad. I'm so, you know, for her because yeah, I don't know. It's just hard. she'll never be able to be carefree. She'll never be able to be carefree. Exactly. So it's kind of on guard. Um, we have some of that. So I, I have I've experienced a little bit of both dynamics of what, what you're talking about. So when when we lost Lucy, I we had I had found Penny. I had literally found her in an alley in Baltimore. Um, we did take her to the shelter because that was what we were supposed to do. But then three days later, as soon as we could, my husband and I brought her home. And so she was uh, there for the last like six weeks of Lucy's life. And I kept telling her, you know, just hang in there. Like your time is coming, but she would have to stay, you know, in another room and and stuff while, you know, because Lucy was in such a delicate state and had really started to decline at at that point. And I I just wanted Lucy to be safe, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So then Lucy passed and, um, and yet I was kind of like, who is this strange dog in my house, you know, and, and, you know, Tim and me and Lucy and Kalua, we had all been a family for, you know, over 10 years together. And it was kind of like, what happened to my family? You know, like who, who is this strange dog? And, um, I had a, I had a probably about another like six week period of kind of being like, she's adorable and I know she's supposed to be with me and I love the story of, of my finding her. And I, the minute we found her, I knew she was our dog. Like I just knew it, but it was kind of like, there is this stranger in my house, you know, and, and it was a little hard at first. And, um, what ended up happening was I experienced this weird sort of autoimmune health issue about six weeks after, um, we brought Penny home And so I kind of became like stuck in the house for a little while. And so we like totally bonded during that time. And she has just been like my BFF ever since. Like she is probably more bonded to me than any of our dogs have ever been. You know, like she's like my girl, you know, (laughs) because like Lucy, as much as 
I loved her. And as much as she changed my life, like she was Tim's girl <laughs> and Kalua was just happy with everybody and anybody, but you know, like Penny is like my girl. Absolutely. <laughs> and then when we adopted Nino, like he is our totally anxious boy. He is not comfortable with anyone really other than my husband and I, and he's not comfortable anywhere other than our house <laughs> or he does like going for walks. Like he'll, yeah. you know, he'll go for a walk anywhere and he loves that. But yeah, it's been, an, um, a, a definite like learning experience and, and trying, you know, like he had, like he had never been in, in a house before, or at least not a house like ours. It's like any noise from like the washing machine or the dishwasher. And he would just pancake hit the floor like totally be terrified he still doesn't like walking across our kitchen floor tile all the time like he'll get as far as the refrigerator and then he gets really weird about it <laughs> and then if he does go past the refrigerator when he goes to turn around he won't turn around he'll actually just like back it up like he just walks backwards <laughs> I can picture that in my mind oh and he's like this like 75 pound most of it in his head you know yeah. giant like pit bull who's <laughs> like totally terrified of like the entire world and, and it's been so you know and all of our other dogs have just loved people loved the neighbors loved everyone and then he and he is like the scariest like probably looking dog but it's like trust me he is more scared of you than you are of him you know and um anyway it's just so interesting and and just been such a journey and and yeah to to love and accept them for the dog that they are and then for the gift that they bring you of of learning you know and and um and growing and you know i always say to Tim, like, you know, thank God that like Lucy was such an easy dog because she made me fall in love with dogs. And like, I could not have been equipped for a Nino right out the gate, you know? <laughs> and like, what great timing, you know, yeah. they come into your life, like when you At the right them. time. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, thank goodness, like Kalua was like a little anxious, like she loved people, but like she would sometimes get anxious going new places or something. And so it's like, we had a little bit of, um, skills in, in dealing with that, you know, by the time Nino came along. So we were like better equipped, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, well, thank goodness we had Kahlua first because yes. she taught us, you know? Built on that. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think about that. Like, I think I'm, I look back and I'm like, I'm so grateful to have had him when I did. Um, cause I needed him, you know, he was like my rock and I'm, I'm Millie's rock. Like she does not feel safe in the world without me. Like it's basically impossible for us to go away. She's, it, has like she she does go to her daycare slash boarding um but she's not happy like most of the dogs happy and playing um she loves dogs but she'll stay to herself like she's just so depressed and sad um and she's so she does not want to go it's like a like a kindergartner that does not want to go away from their parents (laughs) crying that they're like pulling her away um but that that feels so heavy and like I had talked about earlier like I don't like the feeling of people feeling, um, like me feeling responsible for anyone (laughs) or people feeling dependent on me. It's like a perfect storm, you know, it's like, um, like she just hates being away from me. And, um, she is really here to, to help you learn and grow. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So it's like, I feel like I'm paying that back that like paying that forward, like how Tovi like helped me grow. It's like, I'm like her rock, like he was my rock. And, um, she has, that's yeah. So she's given me a lot of like emotional flexibility because I tend to be kind of rigid and like, here I was like, wait, this isn't what I signed on for. This isn't what I wanted. Like, I don't know how to adapt, you know, like I don't want to have to like adapt my standards for what I wanted. And I realized like, and I learned patience, you know, I learned that like bonds take time, you know, we, and, and, you know, it's been almost two years and we get, our bond gets stronger all the time. And I adore her. Like she's my buddy. I'm with her like all the time. 
I, she snuggles with me. Like I can't sleep without her at night. You know, like if she, sometimes she'll choose to go in her own dog bed instead of, she'll just kind of like leave me and be like, I'm going to my dog bed tonight. And I'm like, I can't sleep. Like I need you here, you know? So I, I love her and it's in such a different way. You know, I, I I felt for a long time, like I I was afraid to love her because I felt so guilty, like loving another dog. And I felt guilty that I got her so soon. And, um, and there was like something that I took comfort in, like that first year of like crying at the drop of a hat anytime. Um, there was something like comforting about that. Cause I was like holding on to his memory still. Right. That, um, yes. Like that holding on yeah, to the pain. Exactly. And connection. Yeah. yeah. And I liked being sad. Like I just, there was something about it. I'm like, if I let go of that, like where's our connection and I right. want to forget. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and you know, it, it's such a gift when you, you realize that it doesn't have, you know, to be like that, (laughs) that it's okay to let it go and that you're not forgetting them. You're not forgetting their memory, but you don't have to walk around like cloaked in that all the time. I love that visual. It's so true. And it's like, it's like starting a new chapter, but I'm not erasing the old one. Right. And it it sounds nice to say that, but, um, (laughs) it's sometimes it was hard to believe for a while, but I learned like and this was part of like that emotional flexibility, like learning, like two things can exist at the same time. I can be sad and I can miss Toby and I can still love Millie. Right. Like it can all be there. There's room for everything. So that was my journey. Um, (laughs) I know you had quite a journey these last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so, so what it inspired me to do was to write about it because I'm in an online pet bereavement support group and I would see a lot of people would ask like, when's the right time? How do I know when it's time to adopt another pet? Um, and I would think to myself, like, oh, gosh, I have so much to share, but, like, I don't even know where to begin, you know? And, and there's so many different people asking a question all the time, so it's not like I can have the time to comment on every single one of them. Right. So I decided, you know what, there's, like, no research. And, like, I almost felt like I wanted to warn people and be like, don't do it too soon. This is what's going to happen, you know? Like, so I wrote this. I started writing the story before I had left my job, before I'd even thought about leaving my job. Like it was just something I, um, I felt so I wanted to do, um, just from my heart. And I thought to myself, well, why don't I just like talk to some other people who have adopted after losing their soul pet? Because I don't want to create a biased experience. I don't want, I I don't think everyone necessarily had my experience of this complicated bonding. So, I, in the group, there were so many people that had adopted after. So I saw, I said, you know, is anyone interested in participating in the study? So I got people from that group. I had people from the community and I asked a lot of questions about, um, their relationship with their soul dog. And it was, it was soul pet. So it could be a cat, um, a rabbit, whatever, you know, whatever pet you were so attached to. And then what the experience of getting a new pet, welcoming a new pet into your life was like, um, how long people waited, um, you know, how they bonded, um, where there, was it complicated? Did it, did it help the grief? Did it make it harder? And I realized through this, I was super surprised, but most people did not have the experience I had. Um, and I was just like, I was so happy. And so <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I'm so glad that most people didn't have this experience. And I think for me, it was a combination of a few things. Um, so I think that everyone would agree that I, that was in the study that I spoke to that, you know, their pets were different and they got that. And that comparing at times was totally natural. And, but they weren't comparing in a judgmental way. Like I was, it wasn't like better, or worse. It was just like, oh, wow. Like they're so different. You know, you know, they maybe like 
Tovi loved to be independent and secure, whereas like, oh, you know, Millie, Millie loves to snuggle. And I never had that before. So I'm just using two random examples from my pets, but, mm-hmm. um, but they were almost just kind of like, oh, that, that, these are just concrete, different things. And um, most people were okay. Um, I, I realized that it was more about a core belief of like what it meant to bring another, meant to you to bring another pet into your life than any amount of time. Um, someone adopted in a day and it's, it was fine and it was great. And, you know, she didn't love her cat any less. They had, that had died. It was just that she knew what it meant. She knew she wasn't going to replace that cat, that she wanted to give that love to someone else right away and honor her cat by doing that. And so I think most people who are successful knew that, like they knew they weren't replacing a pet where I went into it thinking I'm going to replace him. I hadn't mourned him. And there's no timeline for that. You know, people have their own timelines. There's no right or wrong. Right. It's all very different. All different. Yeah. And it's like all okay. And a lot of people did share similar feelings that I felt, you know, that adopted maybe a more difficult pet, but they also were able to work through it for the most part. And by no means do I want to imply that adopting a difficult pet is a mistake <laughs> that that would possibly set you up for failure. I think a lot of that outcome depends on like knowing yourself and knowing what you can handle. Like we had talked about, like I knew the kind of dog I wanted. Like I knew I wanted an adult dog cause I'm not great at puppy behaviors, you know? Um, yeah. Like on top of everything else, Millie, like, like ruined a lot of things in our house, you know? So I was like, <laughs> Oh great. Just, just more stuff, right. you know, <laughs> you know, knowing that and honoring that. And also like looking at me and like myself and knowing that like at baseline, I'm anxious and I get overwhelmed really easily. So like bring this into the mix. And, you know, I think even if I had Tovi or didn't have Tovi before, I think it would have overwhelmed me, Right. you know, and then especially at a time of grieving. So I think it's just a lot about knowing yourself, you know, and I just think, and I did go through all the work and the emotions of, of, you know, working with Millie and making her into a more confident dog. Um, but I just, I was exhausted. Like I did not have that emotional energy. So, you know, it's just about, you know, knowing what is, what your limits are, you know, like what you can do. Um, and I think I dragged my grief out a lot longer because I was dealing with like two kinds of grief at the same time, you know, the grief of like adjusting to a dog that I didn't feel connected to. And then the grief of losing him. So I realized from, from interviewing people, it was really about your core belief about what that meant. You know, I was thinking about with Penny and why like it had been harder. One of the things I was thinking about is I don't know what her experience had been before she came to us, but she was like not very connected with people when we, we, when she first came to us, like she was totally like just doing her own thing. And, um, but in a, like looking back on it, it was a relatively short period of time. I'd say within two to three months, like, I mean, it was, she seemed like such a different dog. Like, you know, she would seek out to make like eye contact with you. And, uh, just like when I look at pictures from like the first couple of days we brought her home versus just, you know, a couple months after that, like you can see the difference in her eyes. Um, and, you know, like, and just something about her that like looked like very shut down versus you can kind of see her like that she blossomed with like having this connection, you know? So, so yeah, so I think that was, you know, she wasn't used to, to knowing how to, or having people to connect with, I think. And, you know, so, so here I was like, not having a connection and then she was, you know, didn't know that how to do that at first or that that was okay to do at first, but like we kind of grew together, you know? Absolutely. I totally get that. And and now it's interesting, like you just kind of jogged something in my memory or my mind that I think about is like, 
I feel like I'd be more drawn now to adopting a dog that had issues in some ways. Um, because I feel like I, like if I had a, not in combination with Millie, but like, (laughs) um, but like, I realized there's this whole like other community of dogs that are fearful and have these kind of issues. And, um, they present in like in various ways. And I just never realized that before. Like, I just thought like, Oh, well dogs are like so friendly and laid back and easygoing and like, you know, and it's, it's not like that. And that's okay. Just like people aren't. And, um, but like, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's so rewarding. Totally. And there's this whole like community of people. Like I'm in this, like, um, this like Facebook group for like shy, like the extraordinary life of shy pets or something or fearful pets. (laughs) Um, dogs specifically. And um, I realized like, wow, like I'm not alone. Like this whole group is about people that struggle with this. And it's, it's like a club I don't want to be in, but it's like a club that I feel connected to. So it makes me feel less alone um, and kind of like taking pride in this now, you know, like, oh yeah, I have, I have a fearful dog and like, she's going to have her limitations and, and that's okay. And I still love her. Well, I mean, I, I think all the work, you know, seeing all the work that you've done with her is just so amazing. And, you know, it's like, she like thank goodness she went somewhere where people were equipped to be able you know to to help her with those kinds of things because you know she could have been a dog that got adopted and got returned and got adopted and got returned or you know or just could have ended up in a home that where they just I don't know just shut her in the you know basement or something because they don't know what you know what to do with her or something and yeah. you know we always think that about Nino is um the day that we went to adopt him, there was this other family there and they were very lovely. They had these couple little toddlers and they were, um, Italian and the father's nickname was Nino. And so they're, you know, like, Oh, he's a Nino. I'm a Nino. Like, and they, and like, we kind of had like dibs on him because we had set the appointment up ahead of time. And so, you know, I'm just like, so thankful that he ended up with us because he seems so calm and laid back and they're like, Oh, look how good he is with their little son and stuff. But it's like, yeah, that's cause he was totally completely shut down and terrified. And when he finally came out of his shell, he's like this giant goofy guy that runs around at like a hundred miles an hour flying through the air. And I just imagining like he'd be knocking this poor child over and I'm like, thank God he's with us. You know, we don't have kids. We don't even have a lot of like company over, <laughs> you know, yeah. and he has this very like safe, comfortable life, like 95% of the time, unless he has to go to the vet or something. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, it's amazing how like they end up with the right people too. Yeah. And of course, not always. I mean, there's hundreds of dogs who probably, you know, don't have that opportunity too. But, um, but yeah, I'm so grateful that like you said like that we do end up with a good fit for what we can give them right. um, and, and what they need. Cause yeah, I think about that all the time. Like, I don't know what would have become of Millie. I don't know that everyone would have had that, that patience to, you right. know, and the energy to put into, or even just knowing that there were resources, like not everyone knows you can get training and right. you know people to help you. Right. So I'm, I'm really grateful that I, I had that knowledge and um, yeah. And you have like a net, like you have a great network, a network of people yeah. through, you know, everyone that you've met and volunteering and yeah. Absolutely. And like, you know, I do think back sometimes too, like in relation to like, how do we know, how do we adjust to a new pet, right? How do we bond? And, and sometimes I wonder, you know, and I'll never know this, but like if I had, a, if I adopted another dog, let's say a dog that were laid back and older and kind of check those boxes, um, what would my experience have been like? And and I'll never know that, but I, I do wonder that sometimes. That's just kind of a question I'm like posing out loud here. Um, but yeah, like that ghost life, right? right. Like, um, but I think 
Millie did force me to grow in this direction that she's taken me in now is like my path. I'm writing a book about adopting after loss and those complicated and having a complicated relationship too. Um, because when I talk about it, a lot of other people in my pet bereavement group will talk about it like, oh my gosh, like I thought it was alone. Like I haven't bonded with my new pet. I don't know how to, you know, um, I'm just constantly comparing. And I, I love the idea that I'm able to share that because like I said, there was no literature on it and I felt so alone in my struggle and embarrassed and, and guilty. And, and I remember like, um, this was like a really awesome thing my mom had said to me. Um, she said, uh, Millie is so happy to be in a home and like, this is so exciting to her and, you know, give her that chance. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like Millie's gotcha life, you know, right. like she has her life and like, let like, oh my gosh, I want her to, her to have that mom that loves her. And that really like shifted something in me to really start bonding. Like, Good job, mom. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So <laughs> Um, it was great advice. It just kind of planted the seed. Like, wow, like I'm Millie's mom and, you know, and I'm going to love her and I'm going to, I'm going to feel genuinely connected. And, and, and looking back, like, I just, I feel so guilty that those first, first year, probably I didn't feel that connection, but yeah, it takes time. It does. um, I think you would, I think it's in your, some of your writing where you say like, you know, you had 12 years to bond with Toby and you can't expect to bring a new pet in the house and to like immediately have this bond with them. Like you just spent 12 years building, you know, completely exactly. And like we talked about those milestones and experiences all contribute to that bond too. And, um, yes. And, and I think that's exactly it. Like in these two years, like, you know, we haven't really had any huge milestones together. Um, which is good and bad, right? But for her, but, but I like, yeah, you've, you've had she's had milestones. She's had milestones. That's, oh, I love that. I never really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but as our experiences grow and our time grows, like, um, like I was just telling you um, earlier today, we went for a hike yesterday, which was such a big deal for her. I love to hike, as, as you know, as I've talked about. Um, and it was a gorgeous day yesterday. It was a gorgeous like day. Warm December days. You know, you got to get out and enjoy. Oh yeah, it was amazing and. Um, one thing that's been really hard for me is like, that's something I like love doing is like being outdoors and, you know, Millie, she's gotten much better at being outdoors and she actually loves it until she hears a noise that scares her. It could be like construction, you know, or anything. Um, but she's starting to get much better at that. So when we do hike, um, it's hit or miss, you know, like we might need to only go out so far and come back cause she heard something and gets scared. And, and I respect her limitations internally it can be frustrating and like kind of sad for me because I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, I can't help but compare like, Oh, I wish I had a dog that liked to hike. But then I'm like, that's okay though. She's, she's who she is. But in any case, um, and I protect her, you know, like she gets scared. That's cool. We're going home. You know, like I'm not going to force her to do anything, um, that she's not comfortable doing. Um, you know, while of course I still push her to grow, but in a gentle way, but she, we hiked for like two hours and oh, like, awesome. yeah, I fed her hot dogs like most of the time to keep her like chill and like happy and creating positive associations. And it, I was just such, I had such a proud, proud day, you know, and yeah, it felt really good. So it does feel good to see her, um, have those milestones. So I love to see how, um, you know, how everybody sort of like respects their dogs as individuals and you don't, uh, you know, have the same set of expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. I love how you, I love that word individual. That's, it's so true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like I didn't have that experience until I got another dog and yeah. So I love that. And you have Toby's, um, sitting here with us today. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I have Toby's ashes. I used to like sleep with them every night. They're in a box, <laughs> sealed box. But um, for the first like, I don't know, like 
nine months or so. And and I don't pick them up that much. They sit on my night table, but I wanted his spirit to be here. And I also have a, a necklace with some, it was, I had, a, it was a ring made, a ring made with his hair inside of it. So I'm wearing that again, like I used to wear it like every day. And um, it's not that I don't want to wear it every day, but I don't feel as dependent on it. It's not like my security as much because I can like hold him in my heart now and know he's there. Oh, that was such a good thing. Oh. Like I can hold him in my heart now. Oh. Yeah, it's it's true. Like he's just there and, and I move forward in my life. You don't move on ever, but I think I like move forward. I love just, yeah, there's, yeah, it, it, all you can do in life is move forward. Right. Like there's no, like you, you can't just stay stuck, you know, I mean, you can, but. But that's not really living. It's not living. So yeah, I know he'd want me to move forward. I think that sometimes, you know, I, I just feel like our dogs embody love so much and that they just want would want the best. And I don't know if it's weird to say that, like, I think that, you know, like they don't want you to be stuck or they don't want you, you know, I, I feel like, um, like we were, when we were talking earlier about like the guilt around like decision-making and end of life care or making health decisions. And like, I, I don't think that like Kalua would want us to feel guilty about that or, you know, I think like, she's like, I had a good run, you know, like I was yeah. in the best place, you know, and, and, um, absolutely. That's something that I, I try to, um, you know, keep it, keep in my mind when I, whenever I'm feeling, you know, giving, giving myself like a hard time for, you know, for something like, I don't think she would want that. <laughs> yeah. We are such kindred spirits because I have that. I, I think about that too. And I, I, I've written about that. Like one thing that helped me get out of this is like Tovi thinking like, if he were looking down on my, on my life, he would be so sad. Like he'd be like, Oh my God, like, I don't want her to be this sad. Right. I don't want her to be so sad that I'm gone. And I, and I try to take comfort in that and, and yeah, and that really like helped, inspired me to get to really kind of move forward with my life because I realized he wouldn't have wanted that, like you said. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's true. They wouldn't, you know, they love us. They just want us to be happy and and dogs, I think they just understand death differently. They live in the moment, you know, and I feel like we can definitely take lessons from them on that sometimes. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Completely. There's, um, so there's um, there's an article I read. Uh, it was written in 2013. It's written by Megan Dom. Um, she is an author, um, and she does not write about dogs <laughs> or pets. That's, but she wrote an article in the LA Times that I kind of stumbled upon through like my Facebook feed. You know how they target like oh, what yeah. you like. They're and, listening. Yeah. yeah, they're totally listening. <laughs> like they they'll probably like put some podcasts on my feed now, knowing that like we were doing this today right. somehow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So Megan um, wrote this article that it was like republished in Bark magazine, but it was originally written in the LA times. And she writes about, she had a very similar relationship. Like, you know, we all do with our soul dogs. Um, and she adopted another dog afterward. And she just kind of, she writes so eloquently. She says so much in so few words. It's like, I just love her style of writing and she's funny and, and, and just articulate. She, she wrote about that experience of like, she adopted, another dog. And she's like, yeah, I mean, he just like lives in the shadow of, of Rex, you know? And, and I was like, that is so refreshingly honest. And that was, so I had seen it like in 2018, maybe or 2019, but, um, I had wondered, it was written in 2013. And I always wondered to myself, like, well, what happened? Like what happened with her dog? You know, like, did she ever bond with this second dog? And, um, I want to just read a, a short, 
like excerpt from the article. Okay. I think it really like ties together what we're talking about. Um, you can definitely like, you know, we can put this in the, in the podcast notes. And um, this is also a resource on my website in my resource section, this, this article. But all right. They say you're lucky if you'll get one really great dog in your life. Other dogs may do their jobs in their own unique and perfectly wonderful ways, but there will always be that dog that no dog will ever replace. The dog that will make you cry even when it's been gone for more years than it could have ever lived. I have now had that dog. That is at once the most beautiful and most awful thought in the world. <laughs> so yeah. I just totally like resonated with that. Um, and so I, she, so just to, to close this loop, um, I wanted to email her and, and find out like what happened, you know, what I obviously couldn't get in touch with her. And, um, so she ended up writing an article when, when Phoebe, the, the dog that she had adopted after Rex died and they had bonded <laughs> and Phoebe was so different, but, um, you know, and, and the bond's always going to be different. Right. But, and it was just so hopeful for me and, um, yeah, and so she's just been like an inspiration in my writing. And in about two weeks, I'm going to her apartment in Manhattan for a <gasps> oh workshop. Yes, yeah, so I got accepted into this class this year. That's that she so cool. Um, it's so cool. I'm so excited. And she like loves my subject matter. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like I have come full circle. Like yes. she's my idol. And like, I just, I'm so, I'm so super excited. So I'm hoping that um, I'm really going to really expand my work and kind of take it to a new level with the feedback from this workshop. And um, I'm just super excited about having the opportunity to write a book about this topic of adopting after loss and bringing a voice to our experiences and not just my experience, but those of you know more people I'm going to continue to interview and hear it all. <laughs> that is just so wonderful. I am so excited for you. I feel like the future has big things for you. And I feel like like in this weird way, I'm like going to cry when I say this, I think maybe, but it's like, you know, Toby couldn't be with you forever, but now he's like giving you this gift of finding like a purpose, you know? Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, I was just going to say the same to you with Lucy. Like it's, um, what a gift that is, yeah. right? What a gift in, in this, this powerful legacy that, that lives on. And like, even when they're not here, us, they're still they're not here. <laughs> yeah. And, and even if it just changes someone as a person, like, you know, there doesn't have to be anything big we do with it. We kind of just fell into this, right. um, but, you know, just carrying them in our hearts, you know, and just making something meaningful, um, out of our pain, um, something, yeah, so, something that can become almost like our, like, I'm just kind of envisioning like a different rock, just like that, that pet may have been our rock and our stability and like creating some kind of a meaning and memory that will live with us forever, no matter what it is. enjoyed this conversation with Liz. One of my goals for the podcast has been to be able to have open and honest conversations around the sad parts, the difficult parts, the hard parts of loving a dog that we've all experienced in our own way. I'm so thankful to Liz for sharing her story with you and to you for listening. I really encourage you to visit Liz's website, PetTherapyNotes.com. She has the most comprehensive list of pet grief resources that I think I've ever seen, and 
I would also encourage you to read her blog and read some of her writing. She has written about even more experiences than we even talked about during our interview, and all of her writing is very open and honest and vulnerable, uh, just like our conversation was today. As Liz mentioned, she has been doing interviews over the last several months, talking to different people about their experiences with pet loss and with adopting a new pet in their home afterwards. If you would like to be involved in Liz's research, you can contact her through PetTherapyNotes.com. She is specifically looking for people to interview about their experiences of having a pet that got lost or missing permanently, if you've had to ever rehome your pet for any reason, if you've ever had to deal with making the decision to do euthanasia for a behavioral issue, or if you've experienced a pet loss due to divorce, incarceration, an accident, or if you have any other pet loss story that you would like to share with Liz, you can contact her through PetTherapyNotes.com and take part in this important work. I'll also have links in the show notes so that you can find Liz on Instagram and Facebook. And remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores, on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast, and I'm working very hard on BelieveInDogPodcast.com, and it will be ready soon. Uh, you can always email me at Erin at BelieveInDogPodcast.com. I'll put links to all of these in the show notes. I also wanted to thank Baltimore Gal, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, as she says, she is a little bit biased because she used to volunteer with me through Be More Dog, but she said that Erin is a hard worker, and if she believes in something, she will fight for it. I have seen her in action. So thank you so much to Baltimore Gal, and I hope you do go listen to more of these podcasts. I certainly appreciate all of your five-star ratings and reviews. It does help more people find the podcast. And remember, in whatever app that you listen to, make sure you hit subscribe so that way you'll never miss one of my episodes. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending hugs and belly rubs. Mm-hmm.